We are in a teaching series here at Covenant that is taking us through the summer. It's this teaching series we're calling Faith in Action, and it is taking us through the book of James. We started it last week. I'm going to use an image that we used last week. If you weren't here last week and you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say this image, write the church office. We can send you a YouTube clip so that you understand what we're talking about. But this is, in essence, a series where we're learning to ride bicycles backwards. It's where James is very focused on our actions, not on our thoughts, not on just how we feel, not if we sit around and around coffee and have great conversations and intellectually stimulating dialogue on what it means to be a Christian. James is interested in our actions, in our actions. And what he says is, and what he's going to do throughout this series, is he's going to challenge many of our learned or assumed behaviors. Many of the things that we just assume, saying, well, this is how we live, and this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what we do. This is how it works. James is going to say, are you sure? Have you really thought about this? Or have you just sort of said, well, this is just how it's always been done, right? The great words of Christians and churches, well, this is just how we do it, right? James is going to get involved and challenge that often and say, I know this is how you've been riding a bike, but do you need to learn to ride it a different way? You need to rethink learned assumptions and behaviors to really get closer to Jesus. He's going to do that on all kinds of different fronts. And as we learned last week, where he starts and where we need to start today is when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our money, when it comes to how we use it. We are a nation that recent studies show give away less than 2% of what comes in. The easiest, easiest teaching you can find in the Bible is tithing, giving away 10%, meaning for most people, that's not even on the horizon of a possibility yet. And it only gets harder after that. James is saying that we are called to be extravagantly generous people. And so before we move on from that teaching into the lesson for this week, we need to finish the sermon from last week, which we talked about. If you weren't here, we ended the sermon last week with an experiment. The sermon didn't really end. It's going on for a week, we said. And it was where we talked about how do we learn to be generous? How do we learn to think of our money not as our money, because it's not, but how do we learn to think of it as God's money, that God's going to ask us how we used it? How did we give it away? How were we extravagantly, breathtakingly generous? How is the world different because of what God has given to us with our resources? And to do that, to take one step in learning to ride a bike backwards when it comes to our money, we did an experiment where we gave $100 away to five different people, $100 of the church's money to five different people and asked them to let us learn with them what it was like to think, how does God want me to use this? Not because the point was what they did with it so much, but what did they learn and what could we learn Not of what God wants us to do with $100 one week, but how does God want us to live 365 days a year with everything that God's given us? So this is a lens, a step in that direction. We, through Facebook and online on our website, have already posted some of those responses. I hope that you've looked at them. I hope that you've read them. They are wonderful. I hope that you will keep looking as we're going to continue to update social media and our website this week where you can learn and and stimulate your own thinking based on the lessons that our community has learned. But as initial responses came in, we started asking people who responded uh, early on to if they'd be willing to share in worship as well. And so today I want to welcome Michael and Shannon Nisley, uh, who uh, took the the $100 challenge uh, last week. 
and uh, to, to reflect a little bit as we begin the service uh, and the sermon this week. So I will ask you guys, just as a starting point, because the point of this isn't just the end result, and that may be what we focus on, what, what did we do with it? Before we get there, what was the process like for you all this week? The process was very interesting. Um, I mentioned this to you in, in something I wrote, but part of why I volunteered our family for this is because I feel like our, our children, we have a seven and eight year old boy and a 20 month old girl, but our boys in particular just get bombarded by consumer messages. And what do you do with money? You spend it. You spend it as quickly as you can. And I don't think we as parents, this is being very frank, do a very good job of disabusing them of the notion that that's the way it is is the way it should be. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of why I volunteered for this was let's see if our, our kids and us can, can go through this relearning, rethinking process together. And so the process involved, well, Shannon heard something interesting. The first thing after one of our sons was with us in service, and one of the first things he said was interesting. Um, so we were walking in the patio and you know, when you did it in church, he was like, I'm freaking out, I'm freaking out. And so as we're walking on the patio, um, we were discussing, you know, well, we, we need to pray about how we're gonna use this. And his first response was, well, we should spend it on our house. And <laughs> to give you all some context for that, we just bought a new house and we're, we're doing a lot of work on it, but it, it really held up a mirror to me, particularly mm. that it is not so much our words every day, but our actions that our kids really soak up. And so that's what he was seeing, was that's where our fruits are going right now and our treasures. And it has made us as a family rethink that. Um, and I'm gonna pass it back to Michael to kind of show y'all how we dug deeper okay. into that. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. Go. So, great. so we, uh, one of our sons wasn't in service with us, so we all watched the video together as a family. Then we read the first chapter of James as a family. This is Sunday night. And we, we, we sat down and we prayed about what God is leading us to do with this money. And it, it was funny because uh, we didn't get the instant gratification that we sort of wanted in that our kids didn't have the aha moment right away. Uh, <laughs> and we had to do a little parenting. So uh, we, we prayed about this for several days and the responses we were getting kept kind of being similar. Well, how are we gonna divide it is basically what it boiled down to for them. Um, and, and so by Wednesday, we thought maybe we need to step in and, and remind them about this video. And we said, you know, you know, maybe God is trying to teach us something like this bike message really was trying to, to, to demonstrate in that, what is the first thing that you think of? What do you, what do, you do when you get money? And, and they said, spend it. And we said, well, what if God is trying to teach us to ride this bicycle a little differently? Relearn how to do it. And it was, it was like a light bulb at that point that they started thinking about and talking about, well, maybe if we don't need this money, maybe we should use it to, to help people who do. And so we said, fine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and after that, the next morning, um, after praying on it for four days as a family, um, we came to very clear discernment. Um, there's a charity, my grandmother, for those of you who knew her or know about this, grandmother died last month and they were, the boys were very close to their great grandmother um, who supported uh, Doctors Without Borders. And so um, $25 of the, can we go this? Can yeah, we go? yeah, you know, please. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, no, but $25 uh, of the money went in their name and memory of their great grandmother to Doctors Without Borders, which is a great organization. Um, 
And the other $75 we gave to Alan Weeks's organization, Austin Voices for Youth and Education, or Education Youth, um, which is a ministry that Covenant supports and we think is fantastic, uh, uh, fantastic ministry. Do you think that looking back, you would have used the money any differently than how you normally give? Did it teach you anything about generosity that maybe you didn't think about before and you've shared about from your kids' perspective, which I'm thankful for that, of your sharing of that. How about for you guys? Anything different this week than a week ago? Yes, I think so. I mean, I, I, we were much more deliberate about it, and part of that is feeling responsible to you guys. Um, but part of it is the consciousness of being responsible to God about how we use it. I mean, we, we, we pray together about finances, Shannon and I do. We've never involved the kids before, which was interesting, but mm-hmm. I think that there was a deliberate aspect to how we approach this, meaning Shannon and I, mm-hmm. that, that is sort of has never been there in any financial decisions that we've, we've made together or at all. And we heard that over and over again in the written things, which is I've never agonized over any really amount of money, much less $100 the way I kind of agonized about this this week, which is a great learning tool, right? It's the, it's the kind of process that all of us are supposed to be involved in. Thank you very much for sharing this. This is, this is a, a, a strange thing to talk about finances and generosity and your approach to it, period, much less in front of 400 people. So would you join me in thanking Michael and Shannon for sharing this? Keep reading about this this week. It's fascinating what it is we're learning about what it means to be extravagantly generous, what our call is. And that theme is not going to stop uh, with the verses we're looking at today. Listen now as we continue on with our study of James or read along James chapter 1, starting in verse 12. He writes, Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, it would be easy if you were just doing what we often do, which is taking a segment of scripture and looking at it in isolation, to kind of think that this passage, verses 12 through 18, uh, have these two kind of unrelated parts to it, right? There's the first few verses that deal with temptation, and we kind of have images that come into our mind when we think about what tempts us. I have things that come into my mind. What is temptation? What are we tempted to do or, or not do? And then the second part is about how every generous act comes from God. It can, and they don't seem related just when you read these verses. That's why it's one of the great parts of studying a book all the way through is that we see what Michael and Shannon were sharing about. What we focused on last Sunday uh, was verses 9, 10, and 11 directly in front of this. This isn't temptation and generosity. This is 9, 10, and 11 about financial generosity 
then about temptation, and then ending with generosity in the last couple of verses we read about. So this temptation is sandwiched in between two explicit passages about generosity. One about giving and our money, and the last part where James expands the definition beyond just money to every generous act. So it's clear that these verses on temptation are specific verses about a temptation to be less than generous. He's bookending it on either end with a conversation and thoughts about generosity. So the temptation, which is really the base of every temptation that we face, is to not be generous. Whether it's with our money, whether it's with all kinds of other things that we're called to be generous with, whether to make life and to make our stories about ourselves. One of the experiments we took in this idea that Michael and Shannon were sharing about and that uh, you're going to be able to read about this week is the idea that if we gave money away, and this was a question that was asked, and rightfully so by some folks, how are we tracking it? How do we know what's going to happen with it? What if people just kind of go use it on their own? Well, that's that's a legitimate question. And what James is writing about here is saying that there is a temptation all of us face to just do whatever we want to do, right? We spend our money on ourselves. It could even be easy when it comes to money for us to sort of feel like the teachings of Christianity are unfair, right? I mean, we live in a city where a very small percentage of people are Christian. The majority of people are not believers in Jesus. And it'd be easy for us as Christians to look at our neighbors or our coworkers or our friends or our family who are not believers and to just sort of look at them and say, well, they can just spend money on whatever they want. You know, if they want to go on a vacation and they have the money, they just go. If they want to go put this money towards savings, they just do it. I mean, it it, it almost seems like we're penalized by these teachings on extravagant generosity that might actually impede our living. And it probably should if we're being extravagantly generous. It can seem unfair. It could even feel like that James is going, that's the rule. You need to do it. You need to be extravagantly generous. That's the ticket to heaven. If you want to be there, this is what following Jesus looks like. But in this passage on temptation, in these few verses, James says something incredibly important that you and I need to listen to. What he says is is that in the short run, it's easy to want life to be about us. I just want this. I just want this thing. I just want this idea. I want this, uh, this gadget. I want this technology. I want whatever it is I want. I want to send my kids to this school, and this is what I want to do. It's easy in the short run to think it would be better if we could just do this. But what he says is, is when that temptation to make our stories about us When that temptation grows over the long term, it's not that you're breaking a rule. It's that it leads to death. It is a lack of life. It is a lack of living. Meaning that if you are somebody, and we live in a world that that has so much stuff and is just consumed with getting more and more and more stuff, you can have the latest, greatest things that anybody could ever want, the latest technology. And if that's what you're about, you can live an amazingly small and insignificant life, an incredibly insignificant life. And James is reminding us that God has not invited us to a small, self-centered, narcissistic, I've got more toys than anybody else kind of existence. He's saying that God has created us to be a part of a much bigger and more glorious story than that. 
We choose our own death when we choose to be less than generous. Sure, it'd be tempting to go spend this money on ourselves. But do you want to be that small? I don't know anyone who ever, at the end of their life, wishes that they had been less generous. I don't know anybody who gave sacrificially and generously to those who have very little, who, when they reflected back on it, would have said, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd spent it all on me. I wish I'd just kind of taken the first class ticket instead. Would have been so much better. I don't know anyone who's done that. The temptation in the short run, though, is to make it about us. Now, in the last part, James then, on kind of the end of the sandwich, there's the financial giving, there's the temptation to make life about us, and then at the end, there's this talk where James expands the definition of generosity beyond just money and says every generous act, every generous act comes from the Father of light. So, we've talked about money, and, and when James expands it, we asked the question in our staff meeting this week, what else should we talk about? You know, we live in a world where we live in a country that gives away less than 2% of what comes in. Clearly, we need to hear this teaching from James about extravagant generosity. But what else in our world do we need to be talking about generosity here? Because James has just expanded it. We can't talk about everything. What's one thing we should talk about? And the staff gave the exact same initial response that I had when I thought about what else do we need to be generous with. And the response was, we live in a world where we need to talk about generosity of our time and our attention. We live in a world where we need to talk about generosity also of time and attention. Now, I don't know if 50 years ago, people would have said that that's a hard thing to be generous with, time and attention. But today, it is. And the driving force behind that is right here. Is right here. Now, this is not an anti, for all the Apple people, this is not an (laughs) anti-technology sermon. Technology is a great tool. Technology, actually, if we use it correctly, can allow us to be more connected than any point in human history. That's how it's advertised to us. And it's true if we used it right. I mean, take, for example, Facebook. That can allow you to reconnect with people that you knew in elementary school. It can be this wonderful way of relationship building and connecting. Uh, For us, for for my family, for my in-laws who live in Wales and Great Britain, Facebook, Skype, they're wonderful, wonderful ways for them to be connected with their grandchildren who live on another continent that they couldn't have been 15 years ago. It can be a wonderful, wonderful tool for connecting. But it is also... Maybe the greatest reason that we feel more disconnected than ever before. Because our world has gone from this to this. I was in a restaurant this week, and at every table in the restaurant, at least one person there was doing this. Like, my light is beeping right now, saying I have a message, and I want to check it. (laughs) Seriously, it's beeping right now, saying I have a text message. (laughs) And I want to know who it is. Right? Excuse me, real fast. Well, I, ch- I mean, <laughs> preaching a sermon, may I get back to you soon. But it is, it's this thing where our world has gone to right here and we are missing a sense of connection. And this is a, a source of temptation if we don't use it right. It's a source of temptation because our world can just be about the information we want to be connecting with right now. At one of the tables, and I've done this, so I'm not casting any stones, 
there was two parents, both of them were on their own phone, and they had actually given a phone to their children to be watching a video on, right? And I understand in the moment it's easier just to say, I can just check in the news I want to check in with, and they're occupied, and everything's okay, and it's just better this way. But over time, it leads us to a feeling of disconnection and alienation if we're not careful. Temptation of to spend our time only on us. I remember when I think about this, uh, a time when our oldest daughter Miriam had just been born. She was uh, just a few months old and Beth and I were both working at a church in Atlanta and uh, a great deal on flights from Atlanta to London came out. The baby could fly for free and Beth looked at me when she was like four months old and said, I think I should take Miriam to go over to Wales and to meet her great-grandmother and aunts and you know, everybody else over there and to be connected with their, her Welsh relatives. And I was like, really? I, I don't think I can go at that time. I've got some stuff. And she goes, I'm going to go. And then it hit me. They were going to go away for a week. If you have a four-month-old, you know that your world is like a military regimen. There are nap times and feeding times and sanitation of bottles and all this stuff that has to happen at the right time. You're waking up at the right time and getting down at the right time and showing them the right videos for stimulation. And got to go to this mommy and me club. You got to do all this different stuff. And all of a sudden it hit me. I was going to have freedom of my time. I could do anything I wanted to do. And I was like, yes. Yes, you should go. I want to serve your family in that way. You should go. Is a week enough? Uh, you know, two weeks might be better. Go and let me give you this gift to go and see your family. And they went over and I remember driving to the airport and I drove back to our house going, this is awesome. I ordered pizza straight away. This is a true story, seriously. Ordered pizza straight away. I had the box in bed with me. Nobody could complain. Nobody could talk about where crumbs were going or anything else. Stayed up till three in the morning, why? Because I could. Because I didn't have anything to wake up for the next day. I could just do whatever I want to do. I watched like ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN3. I watched like darts in Dubai. You know, no value at all, but I could do it. I could just stay up doing whatever I wanted to do. And I woke up the next morning when? Whenever I wanted to. Whenever my body was ready to wake up, I did. And I remember putting the pizza box away and thinking, gosh, I miss them. Gosh, I wish I could do a feeding right now. Gosh, I sure am excited for them to get back. Because boy, it's tempting in the short run to think if it's just about me and everything I want to do, that would be so great. That's why we can be consumed with our technology because in the moment it's like, I just want to be lost in this and this show and this program and this idea. And yet over time, what James is saying is that that is choosing a lack of living. It is choosing to not be connected. John Ortberg says that one of the most common regrets that we will have at the end of our life, that people express at the end of their life, is they didn't pay enough attention to the relationships around them, usually because they were too busy accomplishing things. And you can never get that back. You're too busy for the relationships around you. You're too distracted for the relationships around you to truly be present. And so we're surrounded by people all the time and so easily feel alone. What would it mean this week to learn to ride that bicycle backwards? What would it mean to think deliberately about your time and your attention? 
I want to challenge you to think about that this week. I want to challenge you first off of what are the things that distract you, that distract your attention? What are the things that cause you? Maybe it is technology. Maybe it's something else. And then who do you need to pursue this week? Who are the relationships that you need to go after? When I started thinking about this week, I immediately knew who it was that this week I need to call. Somebody that's left me three voicemails, and I just have not found the time to pick up the phone and call them back. Who do you need to reach out to? Who do you need to look at in the eyes and get off your screen when you're with? Who do you need to pursue this week with your time and your attention? Who do you need to be generous with? And as James writes, when we make those choices, we choose life. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this week that you would help us to learn to ride a bicycle backwards when it comes to how we spend our time, when it comes to where we give our attention. It is so easy to just feel tired and to just want to be consumed with our own worlds for a little while. Help us this week to choose something bigger, to choose relationships, to choose to reach out. And may your life flow into us and through us to others. May we be more alive this week than we are today. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.